Hello and welcome to the Centric Cities podcast from The Centric Lab. Some of this material will be familiar with listeners to the Conscious Cities podcast, where it was previously hosted. However, we decided to bring things in-house to further our intended direction with it. Centric are all about enhancing user experience in the built environment. And integral to this is mapping out ecosystems and looking for the friction and tension points that exist within. Well, that's what exactly this podcast aims to explore by interviewing professionals working at the coalface of the businesses helping design, build, manage, and dream of the cities of tomorrow. My name is Josh, and I'll be your host. On this show, I'm delighted to welcome Quende Kifense, who I met through a very random and chance encounter. We recently met at a roundtable discussion organised by two creators of an illustrated book called Out of Nothing, mostly by Daniel Locke. The evening focused around how Daniel's love of hip-hop and space exploration led his creativity in the way that he looked at his book. After sitting with Quende for five minutes before the evening even started, it was evident why he traversed across the city in the pouring rain to attend. So, Quende was born and raised in the greater Toronto area and is currently living and working in London, performing his master's at the Bartlett School of the Space Syntax Lab, which is part of the University College London. So, fascinated by cities, his various professional ventures reflect different explorations and investigations into how they function, the cities that is, with a particular focus on culture, space and music. Most recently, Quende worked the Arts and Heritage Development Unit at the City of Ottawa on a small but mighty award-winning cultural development and initiatives team. He also runs his own label, Memoplex, so quite clearly he doesn't like to sleep. So let's hear more about Quende and his story. Quende, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Excellent. I was hoping whether you could give an introduction about yourself and how you got to be doing what you're doing today. Sure. Um, well, as you said, my name is Quende. As my if my accent didn't give it away already, I'm Canadian, and um, I am now in London doing a master's at UCL uh, at the Bartlett in the space syntax uh, um, portion of of that uh, of that school of built environment. I'm doing. Uh, program, uh, a master's of research uh, in a program called Space Syntax Architecture in Cities, uh, which is uh, um, uh, a theory and methodology uh, of of the way that uh, social phenomena connect to uh, movement networks in cities. And so... Um, how did I? Uh, how did I find my way to that very, very specific uh, place? Um, essentially, it it goes back to, in some ways, my undergrad and um, and my and my interest in hip hop culture uh, because I'm also a musician uh, and DJ. Uh, I've been doing. Uh, I've been sort of uh, working with music in one way or another for, I guess. Uh, Almost 20 years now, so it's been a long time uh, of, of either DJing, producing, uh, doing record label stuff, um, or or other involvement in in the music in the music world. Uh, growing up in Toronto, that was uh, that was part of the oeuvre of the city, uh, the really really interesting and burgeoning music scene, uh, which I was participating in uh, very heavily. Uh, and then when I moved to Ottawa to do uh, my undergrad at Carleton University, um, through um, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, through through doing a very spe- a very interesting program called the College of the Humanities, which was an interdisciplinary uh, liberal arts sort of study where in the first year you do something called myth and symbol where you study all the major religious texts second year uh it was it was ancient philosophy third year uh, literature and fine arts and fourth year political philosophy and science and so um very yeah very uh Critical for me, seminal for me, uh, cool course, and then at the end of it I wanted to do a directed study to try and engage some of my own ideas about this, and I started really thinking critically about hip-hop culture, where it came from, the political and social uh, context that it emerged out of uh, in the South Bronx in the 70s, Uh, and as I started ruminating on this, it sort of came to me that uh, hip-hop was sort of emerged at the same time that this new kind of urban environment was emerging and that maybe there was something connected to that. So I wanted to study this and I ended up uh, going into the architecture and geography department, taking a whole bunch of courses and trying to write something original about this. Uh, I ended up and I sort of, it was funny, I ended up there sort of through a film course, which I took called Cinematic Cities, uh, which pointed me in the direction of a French film called La Haine, oh, yeah. which made me think differently about the relationship between hip-hop and urban environments. And, uh, and anyway, in the midst of all of this, as I was trying to put it together, uh, I was doing some word association in Google. Because I was thinking that, you know, one of the things I was trying to understand was how, you know, for lack of a better term, these spaces, these new spaces were connecting to social phenomena. Like I always said, you know, they're essentially hip hop emerged out of a series of block parties in a seven mile radial area. Uh, and, um, you know, this this area would not have had the spatial configuration that it did uh, had there not been a major transformation uh, in the in the 50s. And uh, and as I was thinking about this and trying to think about how do I measure how different these configurations of space would have been, because it's it, it's I started put, trying to use Google to essentially associate words to see if there I could come up with something. And I think the, the the second or third try, I said, you know, it's like a space connections, like syntax, like <laughs> like words, how they connect. And I put that into Google and lo and behold, this whole discipline showed up in front of me, like papers, books, a place where they study that. And, uh, you know, I blew my mind. I was like, whoa, like, this is a thing. And then um, I started reading a little bit more about it, and I realized that it was, you know, pretty much exactly what I was trying to, you know, it was a set of tools that was emerging, which were trying to answer exactly the kinds of questions that I was that I was seeking answers for. And so uh, I ended up emailing you know, the guy who wrote the book <laughs> about space syntax, Bill Hillier. And um, and to my surprise, you know, and, and it was like, you know, it was an email that was not unlike this intro, just long rambling 
<laughs> just just trying to try to get the ideas, you know, out and uh, and and being uh, you know only partially successful. And uh, anyway, he wrote me back saying, you know, to almost two days later, saying, yeah, you know, I think you have a handle on what this theory is about. I don't know what this hip hop thing that you're talking about <laughs> is, but I, let me connect you with uh, my colleague Laura Vaughn and. Uh, you know, uh, and now I'm in Laura Vaughn's class. <laughs> and, and that was uh, like almost 10 years ago. So it's been a journey uh, in between then uh, and now. Uh, I've been working uh, not only on music, but I've been working at this, for the city of Ottawa as a, uh, as a cultural developer, uh, which uh, we have a team called Cultural Development and Initiative. So we do strategic research and development uh, around culture in the, for the city. And so uh, as a result of that, I've had the opportunity to work on some cool projects uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the city's five-year strategy for uh, arts, heritage, and culture, and cultural development, rather, um, you know, developing... Uh, um, a cultural map for the city of Ottawa where we were able to get all of the city's cultural resources into a GIS database so that we could start doing more advanced research on, on them, which I'm actually learning how to do right now. Um, and, uh, and then also working on the city's um, music strategy and uh, developing the city's uh, music ecosystem as a, in a partnered project between uh, culture and economic development inside the city. So uh, been doing that stuff. Uh, while keeping my eye on the space syntax uh, business and figuring out when I could make my escape from the city, and I made it, and now I'm here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's a, a great introduction to uh, a, quite an intense life moving around and trying to make the most in understanding the interplay between architecture and almost like creativity if we expanded out so even yeah. around music I mean we're we're sitting in in Shoreditch yeah. uh, just on the edges of Shoreditch and it, it's funny when you look at the dynamics of areas and try to come down to some awarenesses or some realities behind that and because it, it, it sometimes you know what works in one place tries to get replicated elsewhere but this area you know if you speak to certain people who were aware of its property market maybe you know 20 30 years ago and to how it got to be now where throughout the sort of the 1990s and the early 2000s th this area from from Clerkenwell which borders this sort of midtown area mm -hmm. all the way through Shoreditch Hoxton uh, areas of Whitechapel and you know the edges of kind of like um, West Hackney as such these areas became hugely dominated by you know creatives mm -hmm. essentially they were different demographics that moved in but a lot of the reason why they got the ability to move in were, were on two parts that you had these are kind of long-term you know owners who were just happy for people to come in but you also had a lot of um property speculators in and around the Shoreditch area who were quite flexible with what could take place mm -hmm. in their in their buildings they were quite 
because they were playing the long game, they mm-hmm. were looking at, well, actually, you know, we, we border the city of London. We, um, you know, all we need to do is kind of hold tight, buy next door, we'll wait. I don't worry. As long as someone pays the rent, I'm not too worried about, you know, mm-hmm. are they a protected lease? Are they mm-hmm. this type of covenant? Are they that type? And so the, the, the architecture has very, I think, the world over plays a very instrumental role in what it affords mm-hmm. um, for people. And there's this idea... I think that it should always almost allow people to be essentially free. Like we sometimes we're too prescriptive mm-hmm. of what can go on in areas. Like in in some of the work you've perhaps been doing in in Ottawa, or even what you're um, identifying here, are there are there kind of nuances in learning about how to allow for a sense of freedom, how not to be dictatorial in like city plans of, right, we need X percentage of these type of size of venues. We need uh, Y percentage of these type of size. And they need to be in this, like, we, we kind of, you know, how do you almost like plan for chaos in, uh, in, in this type of, in this world? Um, well, I mean, I think, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I guess there are different, there are several different ways that 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 I could respond to that. I guess from the from you know where I was working, I'm, I'm currently on sabbatical from uh, from the city of Ottawa. Uh, but you know, if I put on my city of Ottawa hat, we don't want chaos. It's like you know, <laughs> but we do. But what we do want is for people to feel. Uh, you know, a sense of um, a sense of ownership of public space, and not a, and then we also want you know uh, the private sector and private sector owners uh, to be um, open minded about what can about the ways that um, the ways in which. Uh, you know, value can be brought to their properties. Because I think that that's the challenge, really, is that, you know, holders of property are looking for ways that can, for things that can increase the value of their properties. They want one thing, let's be fair. I mean, and, and there's no problem in that. But. And that's like, you know, I, I think, you know, I think a pure profit motive is, um, can be dangerous in its own way. Um, but I think, you know, and I think the idea that, um, you know, that creative uses are valuable and, and bring value can be both, you know, really positive for those who can leverage that argument. But then also you don't want necessarily um, the idea that we can put money in your pocket to be the, uh, the only driver of, of, you know, I guess what you, I guess what we could call virtuous behavior mm-hmm. by those who are, are property holders. Yeah, you know, there's a, there should also be a sense uh, of, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to. The term corporate social responsibility is a bit cringy. I don't want to necessarily say that, but. Uh, you, know. you want to find like social capital. You want to kind of like how can you use your infrastructure, your assets to help create a sense of social capital, social infrastructure. Yeah. As as a result, not to you know you, you don't. Yeah. CSR, I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's a, maybe that's a better way to put it. It's just to say that you know we we should be encouraged. I think it's important to encourage property holders not to only think of their properties as physical infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, 
from a sort of planning perspective, um, it's like cities are getting denser. We know this. More and more people are converging on cities. Um, but, you know, music is such an, uh, an integral part of our lives. Even sound mm-hmm. is, an in, is an integral part of our lives. But one of the interesting plays at the moment is that we've got people layering on top of each other more and more. Mm-hmm. And people's kind of demand for expression more and more. The more that perhaps there is this, you know, you, you become a cog in the machine when you're in a bigger city, mm-hmm. you're more insignificant. You often find that people take their moments of privacy, their moments of expression far greater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, music and sound kind of... it. It comes through the ether. It, it grows like vines, um, through, you know, almost through concrete. It sounds alleviates its its way around, and it, it alleviates kind of like public space into into you know public experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people driving cars, people busking on the streets. Mm-hmm. At every point, we've got different layers of sound. But equally, like when we've got new venues opening mm-hmm. up as well, and the demand for new venues, we've got this demand for sound, and sound also exists in the form of like sound pollution mm-hmm. uh, or noise pollution. So, w- where I'm getting as we've 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 got a, like a almost like a a necessity for for you know audio expression, whether that be through material or or through music, but equally we actually, you know, music transfers to people as well. And we mm-hmm. also have a responsibility to make sure that doesn't transfer into being pollution. You know, we've people are also demanding more privacy. So we've got this, you know, we've got these two opposing forces of expression, Mm. which is a great expression, but equally there's a lot more demand for control Mm -hmm. of this type of sound. From a planning perspective, um, that must be quite a difficult thing to manage. I mean, from from a venue side, but from a street level side. Yeah, not for sure. What's, what's, you know, do you have any insights that you've learned throughout the time that you think, hang on, there's, um, you know, we've got to look better at, you know, zoning or we want to be looking better at at acoustic properties or streets or... I mean, there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, what they call in the biz best practice uh, on this stuff. Uh, You know, there's... um, you know the 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 one that gets touted most regularly um, when when this topic comes up is agent of change, uh, which is uh, the the idea that um, essentially if there are changes happening to a block or a you know or a unit of space um, that it's incumbent upon the agent who is making the change uh, to insulate from any thing that would have been happening on that unit of space previously. So if a condo moves in to an area where there's venues that are bumping, it's incumbent on the ven- on the excuse me on the condo mm-hmm. to do whatever they have to do to ensure that their condo uh, buyers are not, you know, uh, are not uh, annoyed by the sound. Yeah. And that includes, you know, proactive metering, all kinds of other, um, all kinds of other tools. And, and you know, there's a, uh, there's a consultancy out of Austin. Uh, oh, man, I can't believe I'm forgetting my man's name right now. <laughs> Forgive me, because um, we were just in New Orleans together last August, and, oh, what a burn. Anyway, um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up uh, while you're asking the next question, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say his name. Uh, but um, but yeah, you know he's been. Uh, they did a, a great a great thing in Austin uh, where they did a uh, a music census, which was just a a great big uh, data, big juicy data grab from uh from all of the from you know the the broad music community in Austin and it was great because it enabled uh it enabled uh, a lot of more detailed research mm-hmm. and uh, I know there they've modified the agent of change principle in a way that and I'm, and I'll have to get look it up to get some more details on it but anyway because um, I, I can't recall it at the top of my head uh, but yeah they've modified it there in in Austin to uh, um, because it you know when you think about it it could be used the other way as well if you want to put in a venue to a place mm-hmm. where you know, there were previously just a bunch of, it was just a quiet area or whatever, but things are changing and you want to put in a venue, uh, then, you know, theoretically that would make it quite challenging. And yeah. so uh, they've, they've in Austin, they've modified it such that um, uh, it is a little bit more uh, one-sided, one-sided towards the industry. Um, because you know they're there, they have a, a, a they're trying to, um, yeah, they're developing they're developing an argue, you know uh, they're, they're developing essentially policies that are that will develop the industry because that's an issue that they want to develop in that city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so some of those things are like best practice type uh, type uh, type responses. Uh, you know, I have other ideas. Um, which are a little bit more mm, radical. Um, You're in an open platform. With it, three people. Well, yeah. well, no, I don't. I mean, not not and not radical like you know. I, I um I not radical in any kind of uh, you know not ideologically. I just mean um, uh, you know material science. Yeah. Is another is another interesting area. Uh, which is an interesting, which I think is a cool frontier for some of these policy uh, conversations uh, that that hinge around um, that hinge around sound, uh, because uh, we don't have you know it, it's it's a little bit speculative. Maybe what I shouldn't have said radical, but speculative. I should yeah. have said Na- uh, nascent industries. Yeah, yet to have like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, but like the 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 idea of what the material about what further basic research into the material sciences could bring us in terms of you know materials that can uh, deflect and insulate sound. Um, yeah, I know. I don't think we're there yet. I think that there's. I think that maybe like you know, um, further material science development. Uh, I think we're far from understanding it. In truth, I think that we we've looked at it in certain environments. So certain rooms. I remember seeing um, a great example of a room that had been orchestrated acoustically to where the oh yeah acoustic treatment dropped so much yeah. that you you almost go mad from hearing the amplified volume of your own blood yeah. going through yeah. you know, past your eardrums. But we don't understand how that can be orchestrated in more complex built you know almost like urban and street environments. 
Well, yeah, like, and it's also that it's you know the the cost effectiveness of it and all of that. It's like the uh, it you what what you need is something. Uh, yeah, I just I just think that I think that that's an interesting frontier for mm-hmm. uh, this conversation uh, is is like material science and sort of thinking about and and there and there's a lot of cool stuff going actually within the Bartlett. Uh, there's cool stuff going on about that over at Here East, which is a new uh, new sort of satellite campus where the Bartlett's at and it's like uh, yeah they're doing cool stuff you know related to even to even that side of things right now awesome awesome um one of the um you talked about agent of change one of our kind of like mutual uh contacts uh shane from sound diplomacy what up shane uh, they are uh, they've been protagonists in helping get the agent of change through in the for the Greater London Authority. Not just thing. London, G. No, everywhere. No. Well, everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm contextualizing. Shades, shades everywhere, man. <laughs> he's worldwide. <laughs> he's a uh, he, he's a good guy, and it's um, but what, obviously one of the things that you know his his business does is help weave the culture of music into new environments and help you know help areas and help owners kind of understand um yeah a, a lot of the narrative about music and mm. I'm, I'm going to kind of use that hook to move uh, to what to what you did in um in ottawa because mm. um, i had had a good listen and um i want to talk more about your you know the, the piece loosely sort of titled like ode to ottawa bus route 22 uh, it's actually called it's called rito to richmond yeah. that was what that was that was what and it's now yeah. it's now the actually the 12 they've changed the name of the route uh <laughs> to the 12 or is it the 12 oh no wait no, it's the eleven or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, they changed the name. They changed the name of the route to the eleven because light rail is coming in. Blah 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 blah. These are all minor details. <laughs> anyway, the name of the record was called yeah. Rito to Richmond because there's there's a long history of um, using physical and urban environments to mm-hmm. tell a musical story. So you know, two opposing but e- equally beautiful soundscapes to me in this point of view is you know the the KLF and their album. You know. Their chill out album, yeah. which incorporated, um, you know, what it was to take a train journey. The you know, yeah. it's the it's the soundscape album. It's the yeah. it's the story album, all the way to the Oscar Oscar Peterson trio, mm. who uh, did this the the um, album Canadian Suite. You know, yeah. the music was meant to represent the journey from one you know from one yeah. world to another. So you know, obviously, you've picked a very refined area of the city. We you know we've got artists, musicians, creators using sound from one end of a country to another we've got others talking about long long journeys but you've got quite a specific one like yeah how, how did that kind of story come about and kind of what was the uh you know what was some interesting like rele- revelations you got from just making music out of perhaps what is just a bus route yeah um you know the, so i did this project called rito to richmond and it's a soundtrack a concept it's a it's a concept record and it's a conceptual soundtrack for a bus route through the city of ottawa which at that point was called the number two um and hence the title rito to richmond um but uh it also because and also because that doesn't explain it actually let me let me actually explain it <laughs> uh th- th- because the route started on rito street and it ended on richmond and so and it was called the number two so that fully explains it it was called rito to richmond and um 
It was a commission by a very cool organization in Ottawa called uh, Art Engine, who do a lot of very, uh, very critical and uh, and important um, uh, media arts uh, uh, and research and uh, and 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 uh, and. And practice, you know what I mean? Like they do, they they don't just research stuff, they do a lot of things. They were one of the first organizations in Ottawa that had like a 3D printer way back and were uh, holding, you know, info sessions about how to, you know, create how to be you know make they held they 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 hosted the, the first maker fairs in Ottawa et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so they do all sorts of cool stuff including um, this whole uh, this whole line of things this whole set of uh, of projects uh, about sound in the city and so this was what their latest set of projects about that where they commissioned a whole series of artists uh, in the city musicians to do soundtracks for the city and they were going to release it as an app that you could then go and, and, and listen to all of these projects as you rode around on the bus and it's called Sonicity. It actually exists. You can download it on Google right now if you uh, are in Ottawa or even if you're not in Ottawa. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I wanted, I got asked to do the commission and I wanted to do a really, I wanted, you know, I, I was the only uh, hip-hop musician who was uh, among those who were asked and I wanted to do something uh, super hip-hop like I was, I was in that mode where I was like, "Oh no, we're gonna go all in and really, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> do a real hip hop thing with this." And so I started thinking critically about my route. I wrote it a couple of times, and I and I realized quickly uh, I didn't even really need to write it because I knew that all of the um, used record shops that I would go digging at uh, were along this route. And it was an interesting coincidence, which isn't really a coincidence, um, but, uh, you know, it was an interesting happenstance that 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 would be the case and that would be the route that I would get. And actually where I lived was almost off of the number two route. So... Anyway, the approach that I took was that I did a field, I did field recordings uh, of of the route. So I wrote it front to back, um, and you know, field recorded that. And then I went shopping at all of the record shops along the route, uh, just buying a whole bunch of stuff that I found interesting. You know, on, at a few different sessions, and then I brought all those records back to the studio. And, you know, went to work on the MPC. No, I wasn't in the MPC, actually. I was using the machine at the time. And, uh, but, you know, MPC style, just sampling records, chopping stuff, looping stuff, just bugging out, you know, adding, you know, synth layers and all kinds of stuff. So it was just like I just did sort of psychedelic beat tape style uh, project and then I sewed it all together and it ended up being, I don't know, like 30, 40 beats or something, maybe 30 beats or something like that. And, you know, I took that approach also because I wanted it to be a little bit more uh, analogous to what a riding a bus is actually like. You know, you never ride a bus all the way from one end to the other. It's a series of 
short stops. You know, if you could ride it from one end to the other, there's probably a faster way to get there. You know what I mean? Like, generally, unless there isn't. But it's like, um, you know, in general, either we ride a bus from, you know, to, from point to point. So these, all of these things, all of these uh, beats that I made, you know, uh, they ended up being like vignettes. Just some of them were very short. Some of them were 30 seconds. Some of them were full songs. You know, some of them... You know, they were all uh, represented the idea that you you take the bus in different kinds of ways, in different sort of uh, jaunts, different mm-hmm. of different lengths, and so I didn't want it to be one epic piece of music or um, or anything too uniform because every ride is different as well. So I thought that this sort of psychedelic, uh, sort of like chopped up you know, uh, approach, uh, would be appropriate, uh, for this, for this route. And also, you know, it's kind of like, a, it's not sketchy, but it's like, it, it was kind of like, there was a time where it was a bit of a sketchy route. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I wanted to, uh, build a little bit of that, that character into it as well. So anyway, it turned out really nicely and, um, it ended up being, you know, we ended up, uh, Pressing it up on vinyl. You can actually buy it right now at Fonica. If you go, if you hit Fonica Records and you start digging around, you'll see Mimetic, um, Rito to Richmond. And uh, yeah, that's that's your boy. If you were to do, because obviously that's that's in Ottawa, you're now here in London. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that if you were to take certain you know, bus routes that you'd find a very different style of music would be created? I mean, how, how are you feeling the relationship between um, Ottawa and London as kind of like musical cities? Do you feel that oh, you're yeah. unearthing different things about how you're understanding the musical interplay of cities? And yeah, how- I mean, I'll admit I'm working on a little project out here, man. I'm, tr- or I'm trying to start working on a little thing out here. Um... You know, based yeah, I actually I don't even I don't even want to I don't even want to say it because, um, but yeah, I'm. I, you can just say yes. There is something about there is some there is something about there is something different, and I'm trying to see uh, how that affects what I make. I haven't had a lot of time to be making music because um, school's really intense. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when I get a little bit of time, uh, just after this semester, I'm, I'll be very interested to see what comes out because uh you know i've been record shopping as i've been out here going out taking in you know different uh different vibes different scenes etc i've been djing a lot while i'm out here too and um and yeah i think i've been i think i've been picking up something different particularly i really enjoy listening to the bbc uh as well and so um just understanding the scope of music that gets played out here is very different than in North America. And, um, and then at the same time, uh, getting deeper into the styles of UK music that I was into in North America, like some of the, like the Brock stuff, like Digo, Katie, all these, you know, uh, you know, legends out here, um, it's been cool, and yeah, it'll, I'll be interested to get back to the lab and start putting it down to see what you know how that all affects uh, you know what that 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 side of my production. Awesome. Um, music has in general been formed in in numerous different environments. Mm-hmm. So you know, you've, garage bands could really only be afforded in you know suburban environments. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, I mean, the 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 Guardian did. A brilliant uh, 
article not so long ago, it was titled uh, From Berlin's Warehouses to London's Estates, How Cities Help Shape Music Scenes. Mm. You know, in that they talk about uh, in, in Detroit, the, you know, the idea of Motown was happily and helpfully developed by the fact that houses were low and spread out mm-hmm. and that afforded the ability to have a piano mm-hmm. in almost every house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in London, the housing estates afforded uh, transference of, of music through like pirate radio because they could mm-hmm. put antennae on top of the roof. But the, you know, the, it goes through countless other stories. Mm-hmm. Um but something that I, I find interesting, um, because it is the macro topic around cities, and that's what this like these podcasts are about, is learning about city developments, um, uh, what are opportunities, and perhaps what are some you know un- unseen consequences that we might experience. That as cities attract more and more people, even from a younger age, and that there's this itching, there's desire. Do, do you see anything developing in that? You know, will we lose the concentration of people in suburban environments that might, you know, that might be able to come together to to play? And I mean, will everything in that case just be led to, you know, to to kids playing rather than just like, you know, groups of people who just happen to be living in more remote areas because they have to be closer to the city. Their time is spent traveling to a city. So we've got an interplay between density. But actually, we've got a great history of music being formed in, in bedrooms, in, in calmer environments. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see, obviously, something that you're looking at, the interplay between um, architecture and, and kind of, like, a music development. Do you, do you see it as a, a problem? Um, hmm. Well, no. I mean, I don't think those things are, are like, mutually exclusive. Um, I think, you know, things just take different shapes. You know, I grew up. Um, in one of <laughs> it's an interesting I grew up in this uh, in this suburb in Canada called Mississauga and it's one of Canada's most I think it's one of Canada's most important suburban uh, projects as a as a as an idea because it's now emerging into this it's emerged into this edge city which has started uh, you know, its own thing. It's one of the. It's now one of the biggest cities in Canada, um, and it started as a suburb of Toronto. Uh, and so it was interesting uh, coming up out there and being into music because uh, we, my family, moved essentially from Toronto and continued moving west until we hit Mississauga, and then boom, there we were. Um, and I grew up going to Toronto a lot. That was how I connected to the music scene, you know, from going out there. Um, But, uh, you know, when it came time to actually... I think I think the only thing that it inhibits in some ways is the ways it doesn't inhibit people from playing and, and generating ideas. It does affect the way that they can perform those ideas in public, mm. which is an important part of any musician's career. Let's let's go on this. And so it's like, you know, obviously you can get together, jam, do whatever, uh, and create new ideas. But then eventually you need to perform these ideas to start generating, to start essentially, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Start increasing the value of these ideas. Because, you know, a song is only, a song starts becoming valuable once you share it. 
but that's when it starts, people start saying, oh, I want to hear that song again. And then you say, okay, well, you know, you know, if you're Spotify, here, give me five cents or whatever it is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, this is the idea. And so eventually you have to start taking it out and onto what, you know, what some might call a scene, which is sort of where my research area is, is sort of, or my research is sort of oriented right now. Um, and, and so, you know, I think what the, what's challenging is that suburbs, there are scenes in suburbs, but those it's hard for those types of scenes often to connect to industry, mm-hmm. which is if that's your goal, then, you know, it's hard to do that in a suburb. Uh, often because there isn't uh, a strong enough concentration of places that it may that it makes that are that there's an, a strong enough concentration of places such that it's valuable for industry to come out to go and see it. But then it's only seeing well, it's only choosing to have a higher proportion of exposure to music that is being created more and more in cities. But well, it, no, I mean it's. I mean, I think that it has. And and it's not necessarily that because this is what the what this is there's there are spatial aspects of it and there are transpatial aspects of it and the transpatial aspect of the music industry is the industry showcase because that's where the industry actually goes to you wherever you are if you're in Austin and you're South by Southwest if you're in uh, Brighton and you're uh, the Great Escape if you're in Ottawa and you're Megaphono it's like this transpatial aspect of the industry is part of how dude from the suburbs who you know may have not developed uh, in you know in a in a particularly vibrant scene can get on because at that point the industry is where you are and you know and you've got you know you you and the industry have gone somewhere to meet be it Austin Texas be it Toronto Canadian Music Week be it you know what I mean and so, um, and so, this is uh, so. I don't think that the industry is necessarily gravitating specifically towards any you know music that's made in cities because I think if you understand you know the whole idea of understanding how the industry works is that uh, or the whole idea of sort of I should sorry let me rephrase that the whole idea of the way that the industry works is that. Uh, Obviously, in each city, you know, it's or I should say it's, it's hierarchical. And so obviously in each city, there are uh, places uh, where, you know, uh, the industry is oriented and where they where the industry connects to talent. Uh, but then moreover, there are larger convenings, which, you know, if you're working in the industry, you know that you need to connect to those places if the industry isn't coming to you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in a suburb and the industry isn't coming to you, then you know you need to go to the industry if it is that you want to, if that's the work that you want to do. Yeah. So you don't have a concern that um, the music created in suburbs will be affected by more and more densification of cities or people migrating towards cities. You think it's still going to be a strong, it's still going to be good ecosystems for, for creativity? Yeah, I mean, I mean, and again, it de- well, it depends on what you th- it, de- it depends on what you mean by that. There, are, you know, there's a great paper uh, by Bill Hillier called uh, "Creativity: The Fourth Sustainability 
uh, or what is it called? Is a creativity the fourth sustainability of cities? Yeah, and it essentially talks about the way that you know that the urban network is exists to dr- to uh, facilitate people connecting and generating the right kinds of connections that undergird economic, social, environmental sustainability. Um, now, you know. Do suburbs do a good job of connecting people? No, not all the time. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean... Uh, and, and, and I guess in, in, in what he's trying to say uh, in this paper, uh, Mr. Hillier, Dr. Hillier, <laughs> um, in what he's trying to say, uh, he's trying to say that... Um, uh, yeah, he's trying to say that, as he conceives it, creativity, the way that he's framing creativity is as the potential, as generating the potential for these right kinds of connections to happen. Um, there's another. There are other ways to describe creativity. You know, as, as some sort of individual genius, or as a or as a capacity for doing things. So what I'm trying to say is that you can generate your a capacity for doing great music. I think anywhere, if you're interested, if you're focused on doing music, and so many great musicians have come out of the burbs, like you know what I well, mean, like the majority of the great, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, great older yeah. I think, musicians, you and know, some you, of the most seminal you, bands yeah. have, have come from childhoods living in the suburbs. Yeah, and and new and new artists as well, like you know what I'm saying, like the weekend comes from Scarborough, like you know what I'm saying, like that's like a. That's like the east end of the city. That's not even like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the suburb of Toronto. And so, um, you know, that those are... But I, what I'm trying to say is that uh, there is sort of, I guess, the spatial conditions might not, might not be uh, ideal or as generative as those in the city, uh, but at the same time, there's enough going on right now transpatially in terms of the internets and all other types of uh, transpatial connections that people can make that if they are driven, they can do all kinds of things. And then, but I think that, but I do think that, you know, it is about the way that the, it, it, it is about your ambition. Because if your ambition is to work in the music industry, then that's a challenge. Mm. Because as the way that the industry is structured presently and the way it seems to work, it is that, you know, there, there's the showcases where you, you know, again, or you, or you have to be where the industry circulates, you know, and, and where those in the industry who are making, you know, those types of decisions circulate. And so in that case, it gets very, very spatial, very quickly, because you have, you can't just, you can't just, you just can't not be there. And so you have to figure that out, whether, how to get on the scene in some kind of way. Okay, that's cool. Um, Last question I want to ask you is is generally kind of what I ask most people. So, um, it's, you know, okay, well, at the moment you're using quite advanced technologies and what you're doing for your your master's course and I'm sure you're familiar with more Um, so this doesn't have to be music related but um, when it comes to cities when it comes to urban developments kind of what what um 
what kind of excites you at the moment? What, what are you seeing that's coming out that you um, that you feel like that is really going to make a difference, you know, right now? And then there's also the kind of what do you hope really makes it into urban development, you know, and not just end up being something that Wired magazine wrote about for a little bit. So it's right. kind of two, two, two kind of interests in, in, in tech and, and urban development, like what's kind of your, your current interest and what do you really think? I really hope that happens. Mm, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a back road to this, uh, and hopefully not a long one. So, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that I've been reading a lot uh, since I got to UCL and have been doing my degree is the work of Mariana Masucato, uh, who's an economist uh, who writes a lot about mm, uh, the role that government can play in innovation and the role that government indeed does play and has always played in innovation. And obviously this appeals to be like me because I work in government and I work in an sort of R&D in government. And there's a sense that uh, that government doesn't do innovative stuff, and I know that we do do innovative stuff, uh, you know, in, in the work that uh, the team that I work on does. And so this has been interesting to me. Um, and she talks a lot about how many, many of the major innovations, um, you know, or, or there are several major innovations of our generation that have really been undergirded by uh, basic research done uh, by you know, state agencies, and that without that basic research done by state agencies, so many of the major, of, of the sectors that exist right now from, you know, uh, bio, from uh, bi um, biogenetics to uh, all the internet, the whole internet, everything related <laughs> to the internet uh, would not be, would not exist because, you know, the internet was a, a, a U.S. Uh, military project. And then, out, you know, as a result of them doing that basic research into how do you connect networks of computers across, across large spaces in order to be able to communicate and send messages in case of a nuclear cataclysm. As a result of doing that, they developed the Internet. Now we got Google, we got Facebook, we got all these things that would, you know, they wouldn't have put the money into making the Internet. Uh, like you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, nobody could do that except for a government. Yeah. And so um, anyway, I say all of that. And then the other day for my class, we were at Foster's. Um, I'm partners. We went over there for a lecture and to meet some peeps. And they, we were talking to the R and D guys there. And they have a huge research and development group mm -hmm. who do very innovative stuff, uh, very innovative stuff. And one of the things that I talked to their head R&D guy about was, you know, was about some of this Mariana Masakato stuff. I said, hey, you know, I bet you guys do use a lot of government basic research. Like, you know, I, you know, I'm sure that then we started talking a lot about that. He's like, yeah, like, you know, there are, there are so many areas where if that stuff it doesn't exist, you know, we can't innovate because, like, you know, we're not going to put all the money into doing all the basic science. So I say all of that to say and go back to something that I said before. The thing that fascinates me most these days, when, particularly when it comes to music and urban development, is material science. It's like textiles and this whole world of, like, um, you know, the capacity to... Uh, uh, to generate new types of materials that have new different types of properties that affect 
all sorts of phenomena in different kinds of ways than we have experienced before. Um, because that's the kind of thing that won't happen. It's one of those areas where I think, you know, there's so much, ba- we need the, we need big bodies like state bodies to be doing the basic research such that people can then start developing it out uh, because it's so, uh, it's so research and, and resource intensive, but I think it can really transform a lot. Like, you know, when we have newer, better, lighter, um, more responsive materials, um, it might be easier to sound proof of place. Like, you know what I mean? And, and make it easy and, 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 and be able to, you know, retrofit places that, you know, uh, that exist in, you know, on critical pieces of urban infrastructure in terms of the movement network. But, you know, because of changes in the neighborhood, it's, they're going to they're gonna have to move because, mm, you know, there are now all these people around and there's no agent of change or what have you. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like this idea that uh, the material sciences could really bring a lot to this conversation is something that uh, may be a little bit left field, but I think is, uh, I don't know, I think it's a cool area. And again, it's an area where the state, I think it's an area where the state is critical. In, 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 in making it happen. So, Excellent. I think that's a great, great point on, to end on. Uh, yeah. Gwene, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. And if uh, someone wants to get hold of you, if they want to read more about you, they want to you know, listen to some of the stuff you've done, mm. read, read some of the work, um, you know, how, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, Lord. I mean, since I've been over here... Uh, okay, well, let me not... Let me, uh, I don't have all of my informations all in the right place uh, currently. Uh, my website, all that stuff. The school has been hard. I've just been focusing on that. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'll have a whole bunch of links for you um, right in the uh, right in the description that maybe oh. you can you can throw in there. I'll be sure to send them out. Quentin, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. A massive thank you to Quendo for joining in this episode as we try to avoid the cliches of music and cities and look further into the nuances of how they will develop together going forward. So to get hold of Quendo and ask him a question on how to follow up on any of this, he does have an about.me website, which is quite simply about.me backslash quende.cavense. So thanks again for listening. If you didn't find us on iTunes, you can find us there. And if you could leave, leave us a review, hopefully a positive one that would be great if you have any questions about the podcast send an email to podcast at thecentriclab.com and yes of course we are on twitter via at thecentriclab my name's josh thank you very much for your time